At this time, as we close this season in this building, God has providentially brought us to the conclusion of our series through the Lord's Prayer. And this sixth and final petition will be an incredibly important part of our prayers as we move into a season of temporary displacement. And I believe that it is particularly beautiful. That as we look to the future, this verse that we'll be in today, verse 13 of Matthew chapter 6, begins with the words, lead us. Lead us. Whatever season of life this is for you, we need Jesus to lead us. However you're processing life, however you're processing what's going on in the church, what we need in this season is for Jesus to lead us. Whatever temptations, trials, or tribulations come, we need Jesus to lead us when we don't know the way. Or even when we think we do know the way. We need Jesus to lead us in this prayer, the Lord's prayer. It is a corporate prayer. We are not taught to pray, lead me, deliver me, but lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we can enter into this and pray for not only ourselves, but for one another. We look to Jesus to lead us. And so if you are able, will you join me? Will you stand together? As we read out loud the Lord's Prayer one more time in this place and look to Jesus to lead us in his word and by his Holy Spirit. I'll be reading and preaching from the English Standard Version. If you have a different Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. But Jesus, teaching his disciples to pray, says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have taught us to pray and we thank you that you teach us today. Lord, I believe that you have a word for us today. I believe that you've got a word of encouragement. I believe that you've got a word of exhortation. I believe that you have a word for us, not just as a community, but as individuals as well, Lord. I believe that you want to speak today. And so may we not only hear what the Spirit says to the church, but would you give us courage? Would you give us faith to obey what you teach us today. And God, we ask that you lead us. Jesus, lead us through this season. Lead us through these tests, Lord, through the trials and tribulations. God, would you lead us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Dale Bruner in his commentary on Matthew says that if daily bread, the prayer for daily bread is prayer for present provision, 
And the prayer for forgiveness of sins is prayer for our past failures. Then the prayer for God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is a prayer for future guidance and protection. Every single one of us, regardless of what church you call home, is in need of future guidance and protection today. But first, we need to ask the question, does God ever lead us into temptation? How are we supposed to understand this? I think there's uh, something that's, that's really significant we need to be aware of is James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Does God ever lead us into temptation? No. No, he doesn't. So how do we understand this? How do we understand this prayer? I think there's a There's a beautiful example of this from the life of Jesus. In in Matthew chapter four, verse one, immediately after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the water, he comes out of the water, the heavens part, the spirit of God descends on him as a dove and the voice of the father from heaven declares him to be the beloved son of God. And immediately after the baptism in Matthew chapter four, verse one, we read, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who did the leading? The spirit. God led Jesus into the wilderness, but who did the tempting? The devil. God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God is leading. The devil is tempting. The same is true for us. Okay, how do we understand this? Think of yourself as standing on the edge of a minefield. And you know that you've got to cross this field of dangers. You've got to cross this minefield. There's safety on the other side. You've got to get to safety, but you don't know the way. But you have a guide. A guide is with you. The guide knows the way. The guide not only has a map, but he has walked, he has traversed this minefield a number of times himself. All you have to do is follow him. All you have to do is put your feet right where he puts his feet and he will guide you through the minefield. He doesn't guide you into danger. He guides you through the danger. And so in the same way, in this season, Jesus is leading us not into temptation, not into trials and testing, not into danger, but through it. But make no mistake, there will be dangers. Whatever season of life you are in, if you are following Jesus, he will lead you through whatever it is, but there will be dangers. And the danger is much more than just temptations to sin. Okay, this word temptation, it's translated temptation, refers not only to the allure of sin, but also to the trials and the tests of faith that we experience in daily life the tribulations that that even cause us to tempt us to abandon Jesus and leave the faith. 
And this is important for every single one of us because our faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested, sometimes in dramatic ways and sometimes in more subtle ways. But ultimately, there will be times when our circumstances seem to be at odds with what we know to be true about the character of God. Listen to Psalm 22, King David saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Do you hear the the, the tension in David's words? David's saying, God, this is what I know you are. This is who I know you are. This is what I know to be true of you. I know that you have performed miracles in the lives of our ancestors. I know that you've delivered them in miraculous ways. He probably has in mind the crossing of the Red Sea. He's got in mind all of the the times of deliverance where God delivered the people of Israel time and time again. And yet in this season of David's life, he says, why are you forsaking me? This is who you are. This is what you've done. I know this to be true of you, but right now it feels like you don't even hear me. You're not even answering me. And he's, he's in this tension, holding the tension between his experience and yet what he knows to be true about God. See, the life of faith is not exempt from tests of faith. The life of faith is not exempt from tests of faith, but we are in good company when our faith is being tested because God's people have always gone through testing. God has always led his people into seasons where they have been tested. Even a a casual reading of the Bible, you will come across all kinds of seasons that test God's people as to whether or not they will trust God over their own desires and over their own experiences. Time and time again, seasons of testing. And unfortunately, in scripture, there's a lot of failure, not a lot of victories in the testing. And what's even more unfortunate is that we can relate to a lot of them. Church, you and I know from Adam and Eve and from our own personal experience that even though we live in a world of abundance, we too, like them, are tempted to pursue the one thing that God forbid us to have. We know from Adam and Eve and we know from experience the desire to sit on the throne of our own lives. The unwillingness to trust anyone else, but only what our hands can do for us, only where our feet can take us. You and I know well from the story of Abraham and from our own personal experience that in seasons of waiting, in seasons of uncertainty, it's so easy just to take matters into our own hands. As Abraham grew tired of waiting for the promised son and so took matters into his own hands and did the only thing he could think to do, which was have a child with his servant. He failed the test. You and I know from the children of Israel and from our own experience 
that in wilderness seasons, difficult seasons, dry seasons, that we are tempted to abandon God. Tempted to forego our trust in God and lose faith in those wilderness seasons. The children of Israel actually wanted to go back to Egypt. The wilderness was hard and they, they, they said, oh, the leeks and the garlic and we would sit around the meat pots and eat to the full. Just like overlooking slavery, overlooking Pharaoh's oppression, overlooking the fact that Pharaoh very recently before that murdered their children. But it was so, springtime was so nice in Egypt. They actually wanted to go back to Egypt. In the wilderness, they got tired of waiting for Moses. And so they're like, hey, what if we make a golden calf and we just worship it? They continually grumbled against God because they were tired of his miraculous provision. All we have is this stinking manna. Oh, you mean the bread that miraculously came from heaven every morning and fed you for 40 years? Or they would complain, God miraculously gave them water from rocks. And they would grumble and they would, and they would complain. And they still didn't trust God to lead them, even when time and time again, every morning, they had a reminder of his faithfulness to them. And ultimately, when God would call them to possess the promised land, they were fearful of the inhabitants in the land and they refused to go. And for that reason, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God says that their faithlessness in the wilderness actually put him to the test. They were putting God to the test. Regardless of how many times God miraculously showed his commitment to them, time and time again, they still went to the Lord. But what have you done for me lately? But what have you done for me today? What have you done for me now? They required God to continue to prove himself to them. And church, this is the truth. We're entering a season of testing. Some of you individually are already in a season of testing. You've experienced seasons of trial. The last several years have not been easy for anybody by any means. And we are being tested. And corporately as a church, we're entering a season of testing. And the enemy wants you to fail this test. Scripture says he prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Still not exactly sure what that means, but it doesn't sound good. The enemy wants us to fail this test and we will be tempted to put God to the test. To make God prove himself to us. We'll look back on 20 years of faithfulness. Or for those of you who've had the, the, the privilege of walking with Jesus for longer than 20 years. You'll look back on your life of God's faithfulness to you. And you will be tempted. But what have you done for me today? You'll be tempted to explain it away. 
You'll be tempted to not let it affect you today. You'll be tempted to grumble. You'll be tempted to complain. You'll be tempted to look back and want to go back to the past. Church, God may call us to bold faith in the future to pursue something that feels impossible for us. And we'll be tempted to look at the giants in the land and say, it's too wonderful for me. I can't do it. Sin is deceitful and it will convince you in the season of testing that you are right and God is in the wrong. That God, if if you only knew what I know, me or our church or my family wouldn't be going through what we're going through, wouldn't be experiencing such hardship, wouldn't be experiencing the trials that we're experiencing. And the enemy will make you believe that your personal experience uh, trumps the will of God, trumps the word of God, trumps the character of God. And it couldn't be further from the truth. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we pursue faithfulness in the season of testing when the enemy wants to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at us? This prayer holds the keys to faithfulness in the test. So this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It instructs us to first confess our weakness. See, the reason we pray, lead us not into temptation, is because we know I'm weak in the face of temptation. We like to think of ourselves as being strong, like to think of ourselves as being able to endure, being resilient, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We like to think that we can face temptation and be okay. But the very fact that Jesus instructs us to pray, lead us not into temptation, exposes the fact that we know we are weak in the face of temptation. We need to confess our weakness in the face of temptation. We're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're we're tempted to fear. We're prone to wander. We know that the spirit is willing, but we also know the flesh is weak. And so Jesus instructs the disciples, the spirit is willing, the the flesh is weak. Pray that you may not be led into temptation. Here's the thing. I think that we would have less sin to confess in our lives if we were more quick to confess our weaknesses. I think we would have less sin to confess in our lives if during the temptation, before the temptation, we were quicker to confess our weakness. God, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. I need your strength. I need your spirit to lead me through it. It's not time to be a hero in seasons of temptation. It's time to depend on the strength of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
Anyone who thinks they stand, take heed, lest they fall. But this also brings us to the next point of the prayer. After a confession of weakness, it instructs us to cry for deliverance, to ask for help. Asking for help is, is I, I think, harder for some people than failure. So if I try something and I fail, you just chalk it up to, hey, I get an A for effort, don't I? At least I tried. But asking for help is really hard. It's confessing, I can't do this. I need somebody. I need something. I need, some, I need something to come alongside me and help me. It's incredibly difficult. And Jesus teaches us that God is able to deliver us from evil. But listen to me, that doesn't mean he will just pluck you out of the circumstance. That's what we want. That's what we want God to do. We want God to just pluck us out of the difficulty, to make it go away, to make it untrue. That's what we want. But that's not often what God does. He delivers us from evil by leading us through the struggle. He leads us through the test. And so the prayer teaches us to depend upon Jesus, to lead us, to trust his word, to walk in the spirit, to follow him through the trial. Jesus teaches us to confess weakness. He teaches us to cry for deliverance. And in addition, this prayer leads us to put our confidence in Jesus. See, not only is Jesus the one who delivers us, okay, but Jesus is our example in the test. Jesus also was tested. He was tested in the wilderness, as we talked about at the beginning of this, but he was then later tested at the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he was arrested, he took his disciples and he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further into this garden. And then he left them and and walked a little bit further himself. And he fell to his knees before God. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, If there's any other way for your will to be accomplished, if there's any other way for your will to be done, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of suffering pass from me. This trial pass from me. I I don't want to do it. If I can avoid it, I'd really like to. If there's any other way, take this from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. In that moment in Gethsemane, Jesus is being tested. He's being tempted to forego the cross and save himself. And yet at the end, he says, not my will, your will be done. Tempted to forego the cross and save himself, but instead he denied himself and saved you. He denied himself and saved us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him. You're the joy. Did you know that? You are the joy that was set before God. Reconciliation with Jesus, intimacy with you is the joy that was set before him. And so Jesus endured the cross because of the joy 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because of the joy that was set before him, because of relationship with you that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Yes, he said, Father, if there's any other way, yet not my will, your will be done. And Jesus, unlike anyone who ever came before him or anyone who would ever come after him, Jesus passed the test. Jesus passed the test. He trusted God completely. He obeyed the will of God perfectly. And I believe the spirit of God would have us take note today that it did not leave to an easy, comfortable life. Jesus' perfect obedience, perfect faithfulness did not lead to an easy, comfortable life. It led to the cross. Think about that for a second, because here's the thing. We believe deep down, I believe that deep down, we really think that if we're in God's will, that if we're truly in God's will, if we're truly faithful to God, if we're, if we're going to church on Sundays and we're reading our Bibles and we're praying and we're just, if, if we're just faithful, we believe deep down that if I'm truly in God's will, then my life will be comfortable and easy. And that is a lie that the devil preaches to our culture. That's a lie that the devil preaches to church culture. He says, if God were real, or if God loved you, or if you were just better, if you would just do the right things more often, then none of these bad things would happen to you. You know, if you were just more faithful, if you were just more obedient, if you were just more loved by God, none of these bad things would happen to you. Tell that to Jesus. Perfectly obedient. Completely faithful, beloved of God, crucified for our sins. We believe that if we were just better, life would go easy. But the example of Jesus teaches you that that is not the case. Walking with Jesus does not exempt us from trials and tests of faith. In fact, it guarantees it. John 16.33 says, I tell you these things so that you may have peace in this life, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have trials, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In this life, you will have trouble. Bad news. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Good news. We will have trials and tests of faith. And we will be a mixed bag of faithfulness and failure. Reality Carpenteria, make no mistake. In this season of testing we are entering into, we will be a mixed bag of faithfulness and failure. You will experience in your life a, 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 a mixed bag of faithfulness and failure. But Jesus' faithfulness, 
not only purchased your salvation on the cross, but Jesus' faithfulness was credited to your account. He fulfilled the law on your behalf. And so even though we look back at failures in our past, and even though you may fear failure in the future, you may fear what comes in the future, because of the faithfulness of Jesus, God the Father looks at you as though you have been completely faithful in every test that has come your way. This is why when we die and stand before God, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because of Christ, he looks at you. He doesn't see the failure. He sees the faithfulness of Jesus, the faithfulness of the one and only perfect, eternal, beloved son of God. God looks at you because of the cross and says, you've been faithful. Because you've done the one thing that I've asked you to do. Jesus says, this is the will of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. If you have trusted in Jesus, there may be failure in your past. There may be failure in your future. But the father looks at you and says, faithful. Somebody's got to hear that today. regardless of what we're going on, what's, what we're experiencing as a church right now. Someone's got to hear that today. But your faith is in Jesus and the father says, son, daughter, well done. You're faithful. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out onto us to give us power in the test. That same Spirit of God that enabled Jesus, that empowered Jesus for his faithfulness dwells in us. And by the Spirit of God, Jesus will lead us through the test. Church, make no mistake, this season ahead of us is going to try us. It's going to test our faith. But listen, this test is not a theological test to make sure we check all of the correct doctrinal boxes. The, the, the test that we're facing is not a moral test, making sure that we all are, you know, we have the right behavior, right? It's not an intellectual test. It's not, you know, we got a problem solve our way out of this. It's not a practical test. It's not a physical test. Church, listen up. The test that we are facing is a doxological test. It is a test of our worship. Will we worship Jesus in the darkness? Will we worship Jesus when it's difficult? Will we worship Jesus if we're outside in a parking lot? Will we worship Jesus if we're meeting in the basement of another church? Will we worship Jesus if we've got to gather together on the beach? Will we worship Jesus in the trial? Will we worship Jesus in the darkness? Will we worship Jesus in the difficulty? Will we worship Jesus not just this next Sunday, but will we worship Jesus 10 years from now if our circumstances haven't changed? Will we worship Jesus when it's not easy? Will we worship Jesus when it makes us 
us uncomfortable. This is the test. Reality Carpinteria, as we go forward from this place, will you worship Jesus whatever the cost? Then let him know. My favorite hymn is It Is Well With My Soul. If you don't know the story behind It Is Well With My Soul, it was written by a man who uh, just survived the Chicago fire and then his son died of scarlet fever and he thought that he could put his wife and daughters on a ship and sail them to Europe and he was going to join them later after he finished some more business at, at home and they just needed a break. They, they needed some time away and so he puts his wife and his four daughters on this ship and along the way there's this catastrophic collision. The ship drowns and his daughters die. He gets a telegram from his wife. I alone survived. What do I do now? The man got on a ship and he sailed to meet his wife. And at one point in the journey, the captain of the ship comes to him and says, sir, I just thought you should know that this place that we're at right now is the place the ship went down. And he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. I remember the darkest day of my life. I woke up with the stomach flu, 4 a.m. My wife woke up about 30 minutes later terrified. She was having a miscarriage. I was so sick I couldn't take care of my wife. My wife drove herself to the doctor with me in the passenger side seat. I've got a bucket because I can't make it. We park out in front of the doctor's office. I get sick, wipe my mouth, look at my wife and say, okay, let's go. Go up the stairs into the doctor's office, ultrasound, nothing, nothing, no life, nothing. My wife's parents come and, and, and they've got to help. I'm, I'm worthless. And they take Katie out of the house and are comforting her, distracting her. And I'm sitting there in the living room on the couch. And all I can do is just belt this hymn. God, it's not okay. Things aren't okay. And some of you today are looking at this place knowing you won't worship here on a Sunday again. And you're like, God, it's not okay. But did you know that because of Jesus, he shed his blood for your soul, that it can be well with your soul this day, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. This is not the hardest thing you will go through. And because of Jesus, it's well with our soul. Jesus' faithfulness did not lead to an easy life. It led to the cross. But on that cross, he defeated sin and Satan and death. And three days later, he rose from the grave. 
He was crucified for our transgressions that we would be delivered from the evil one as this prayer tells us, but also so that we would know that in our testing, there is purpose. In Christ's trial, there was purpose. In your trial, there is purpose. In our church's testing, there is purpose. First Peter 1, 3 through 7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who? For you. Who? By God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tests that we are experiencing are not so that we can prove our faith to God. Okay, the tests that we are experiencing are intended to result in purity of faith that results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not testing you to see if you have what it takes. He is purifying you so his brilliance in you would shine all the brighter. There is purpose in the trial. Reality Carpinteria, God is not done with us. Not by a long shot. This is part of his plan to show us how beautiful he is, to show his beauty to Carpinteria, the coastlands, and the nations. He is not done with us. He is not done with you. Whatever failure or faithfulness exists in your life, he is not done with you. Whatever trial you are experiencing at this time, he is not done with you. Follow him through the minefield. Follow him as he guides you. We need Jesus to lead us. And I want to close with this, just a promise from scripture that God's people can take to the bank and that we should hold on to in this season. First Peter again, chapter five, verses six through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore. Reality Carpinteria, humble yourselves, therefore. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his, his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we trust you to lead us. 
And now at this time, God, we pray that once more your spirit would fall on this place, Jesus. God, that right now in our hearts, you would take all of this and you would just place it right in our, in our hearts, right in our minds where we need to receive it. Holy Spirit, come and do a work in this place right now. God, we give ourselves to you, our past to you, our future to you, not just as a church, but individually as well. Lord, we belong to you. Where else shall we go? You are the one with the words of eternal life. Give us courage. Give us boldness. But God, give us faith to worship you in the darkness, to worship you right now, Lord, to lift up our voices, though it may be difficult for some, though it may be filled with tears, to lift up our voice and worship you. Declare that you are worthy in this place. God, I need your strength for that today. I need your spirit for that today. God, would you do this in us for your glory, for the good of your people, and for the advantage of the gospel in carpentry of the coastlands and the nations. We pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.